0: We're making conversations about content entrepreneurship
1: count. There's a thousand companies creating a thousand pieces of content a day about that topic that you picked. So you wanna niche it down and you can't niche it down too much to start with. And I want you to keep going down that rabbit hole, especially in B2B and say, well, what can we do or what can we talk about to that audience that we can be the leading experts in the world at? It's a very audacious statement. But you have to go down that far, because...
0: Welcome back to Making Conversations Count. Now, I don't know where to start in introducing the guest for this show. I should probably rewind to about 2007, because our guest today has been a very busy chap. He started the Content Marketing Institute, went on to write several books, one of them most noted as Content Inc. He is the co-founder and board member of the Orange Effect Foundation, which is dedicated to finding speech therapy and technology resources for children and families who need it the most. His latest venture is called The Tilt And it has its own coin. More on that in the conversation later. But it's also been putting on Creator Economy Expo, which is where 500 or more fellow content creators come together and explore strategies, tactics and tools. Because today's guest has coined a phrase, content entrepreneurs. And of course, we all know as business owners that we need to be creating content in today's climate. So without further ado, let me introduce to you fellow entrepreneur, speaker, author and podcaster. It's Joe Polizzi. I have Joe Polizzi, who's kind of content superhero. How many books is it now? Seven? Seven books. I've been following it for a very long time. And I just love how you just tell it how it is. Where did Joe kind of come from?
1: I started in business to business publishing in 2000 and found you know, just lucky enough to land in the position of content marketing. We used to do custom magazines for large B2B companies when I worked at this company and uh, started to go and I had to go sell this thing to a lot of chief marketing officers and custom magazines and newsletters and then into blog posts and sponsored content, whatever the case is. And I would go in and talk to a chief marketing officer and I'd say, do you do any custom publishing or do you know what custom publishing is or custom media or branded content, whatever? They were all the terms. And I'm like, nobody's paying attention to me. Like nobody can like if you say custom publishing to a chief marketing officer, they're already sleeping before you get out the word publishing. They're like, I don't care. Uh, if you're selling marketing things, whatever that is, to a marketing professional, and you don't call it marketing, they tend not to pay attention. So that's when I started to use the term content marketing just to sell. And I was testing it out and I'm like, oh, okay, well, when I said content marketing, hey, do you do content marketing? What kind of content marketing do you do in your organization? Now, they didn't know what that was, but they sort of perked up in their seats a little bit. This was at the time when we actually had face-to-face calls. That play along with you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't really know what Joe's talking about, but, you know, we're, you know, I'm a marketer, so maybe we do content marketing. Then they realize we talk it through, oh yeah, they do have a custom magazine. They have an internal magazine. They have an intranet. They were doing all sorts of stuff. They were getting into social media, whatever the case is. And then, you know, fast forward into left that job in 2007. Content Marketing Institute was born in 2010. And then We really started to try to popularize the term of content marketing, 2010, 11, and 12. And that was sort of the coming out party, if you will, of content marketing, because uh,
0: it's a, it's a phrase that I think a few people actually coin themselves now, isn't it, Joe? It has become, you know, a thing in its own right.
1: It's sort of laughable, Wendy, because in 2007, I launched the blog, The Content Marketing Revolution. That was the name of the blog. And so it's funny, I I started a blog that nobody knows what it is because nobody knew what content marketing was. And we were trying to define it. Well, thank goodness for the recession at the time and and people's changing budgets and Google and social media and all these things sort of happened at once. And we could create our own content. It was the democratization of content brands had to figure out they wanted to build audiences and all this stuff happened at once, luckily. And then content marketing really became a thing. And now it's still one of the fastest growing areas of the marketing budget. It's just so slow, if you will, and especially with large companies trying to build these media properties and they're just not used to it. It's a new muscle for them. And so we'll we'll still continue to see this thing grow for quite a long period of time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember back in 2007, 2008, when the recession hit, I was only a baby in business then. And everyone was talking blogging and I was like, what on earth are you talking about? What is this blogging term? I kind of got it for me, having done advertising in my youth, you know, I was like, oh, so it's kind of that. Well, I don't really need to do that then. And I poo pooed it because mm-hmm. I didn't see the point of creating a blog to sit on the internet, thinking that, that then people were saying, oh, well, unless you spend thousands of pounds, you know, you're, nobody's ever going to find it. So unless you're then telling everybody about it, and I thought, well, I'd rather just have a conversation and then point them to it after the fact rather than Mm. lead with it. So it's interesting for me that, you know, in the, I don't know, 30 odd years of being in the business that things just take on new names. It's the same principles all the while. And we're just sort of following different platforms or technologies, you know, I think are you over on is it slack or telegram or yeah, i'm going discord
1: we have a discord channel discord Absolutely. that's the one yeah
0: so tell us a little bit about discord cuz i'm old <laughs> and i need educating
1: yeah it's it's just very simply it's a discussion forum if you have a group of so, so let's say you know a 5 years ago you just started a facebook group right? You're like, oh, great. It's a Facebook group. Everybody can talk to one another. Somebody brings up a post and we talk about that and comment that. It's the same thing on Discord, except you just have different threads. Somebody says, hey, this article is really interesting. And then you've got seven people that comment underneath it. And that's it. It's really simple. Telegram's even more simple because it's almost just like constant chat. So it's the lowest technology. So you don't even have to be. It's not a big deal. It's just
0: yeah, what of, you're saying is of, well, even you could do it, Wendy. Even,
1: well, I figured it out, Wendy. So if I can figure it out, anybody can figure it out. But what's interesting is Discord became popular because of streaming. So what happened is if I was watching Twitch or YouTube Live or whatever the case is, you know, where are the discussions happening? Sometimes the comments go so fast on Twitch, it's really hard. Or, or if you're playing a game with somebody, whatever, how, where's the conversation happening while everybody's in this, first person game, whatever the case is. And they're on discord. And uh, the reason I found it was because of my kids and they got into it. I'm like, what is this? And what's going on? It's like, oh yeah, we're just having a discussion. And I looked at it. And I'm like, oh my God, that's just like the old discussion bulletin boards I used to use 20 years ago. It's really no different. It's just live. And you can see it in real time and you could see somebody comment in real time. So we've used it as part of our company, the tilt to say, okay, you want to get our newsletter. Great. You want to access the content. You're an audience member. But if you want to be part of the community, that happens over here on Discord. And it's amazing. People are meeting each other. They're gaining, you know, professional friendships, wh- whatever the case is. They're learning stuff. So I love it. But it's not for everyone because uh, you go down that rabbit hole just like everything else. And Oh, yeah. That's why the reason why I won't get on TikTok. And even my kids tell me I need to just from a professional publishing standpoint. I won't get into it because I don't want to get addicted to it because I feel I will. I don't want to go down that TikTok rabbit hole because the algorithms are so good. I'm quite good.
0: I just post and run.
1: (laughs) 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 Well, then I guess it's okay if you do that, if you do it that way. But But it's amazing.
0: But equally, you know, if you it's like lots of things, isn't it? If you don't fully understand it. Then how can you really leverage the most out of it? So we've all learned that content marketing is something that we need to be doing, you know, to be answering the frequently asked questions or, you know, to give some insight or behind the scenes or, you know, personality behind the brand. How should we go on? (laughs) There's so many areas that you can create content around in a business. And there are lots of different channels for you to be able to broadcast that, that There are different pieces of content that go to different platforms. If you don't fully understand them, are you really putting the right thing out there, which is why not much happens?
1: Exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Most companies and I, you know, I used to work with like Fortune 500 companies, so they have billion dollar budgets and they're basically creating content and sending it on every platform and seeing no results. Let's just, oh, great. We can do Twitter and we can do Facebook and we can do LinkedIn and we can do Snap and we can do all these things. So let's just, blitz throw content out there and see what happens. That's not content marketing. Content marketing is about the idea that I want to actually build a direct relationship with an audience member. And hopefully if they begin to know, like, and trust us because of that, they'll buy more stuff. Well, how do you build that direct relationship? You send that audience member. Well, first of all, they have to opt in to getting your content, an e-newsletter, a blog post, a podcast, whatever. And then they do that and you deliver valuable information consistently over time. And then hopefully that turns into a relationship and there's some kind of commerce that that happens there. Most don't do that right. They don't choose to be great on one platform. They don't choose a content niche that they actually can differentiate themselves and, and cut through all the clutter. But I was talking with somebody, this is a couple of months ago, chief marketing officer, and they said, well, why content marketing? And I said, you don't have to do content marketing. But if we all started from zero today, you would just say, okay, I don't want to create something amazing for my audience or a group of people and build an audience. Who's out there? Do I'll wait till somebody builds their own audience and then I'll go ahead and interrupt that relationship with an (laughs) ad. So that's the thinking, right? So we do advertising today. And by the way, advertising is very effective. But if you had to start at zero and figured you wouldn't say, no, I want to go interrupt a bunch of people with my ads. You would say, Oh well, let's create our own channel. Let's create something that's amazing for them, and and solve their pain points on an ongoing basis. There, where they begin to know, like, and trust us, and then when they do that, they'll buy anything from us. It's just a better way. It's like marketing without sales. Like if you do it really right, you know, you've got this wonderful relationship instead of this this temporary thing where hey, it's nine ninety nine, come on and get <laughs> it, or where to throw enough in front of them. So that's the thinking on that. But th- it's not that advertising is wrong or content marketing is right. There's just different ways to do it.
0: So a lot of listeners uh, to the show are in business or looking to get into business and they're needing to reach out to other businesses. There's a a real tilt towards B2B. If you had to start from zero, say you hadn't got the tilt, you hadn't got Content Inc, you know, where would you start in trying to reach people?
1: Well, the first thing you do is you don't, start, you think, and you create a strategy about, do some research about what makes the most sense. So the first thing is who's the audience you're trying to target. And this, by the way, always changes when you get more market information, but who are you trying to target? And then what are their pain points? What keeps them up at night? So you have that on the one side and on the other side, you're like, what are you, what's your experience areas? What are you really good at? What's your knowledge about things that's over and above anything else? And then you put that together. That's called the sweet spot. That's step one. And then you move down into step two and say, okay, we found that, you know, we want to talk about like in B2B, maybe it's mechanical. You're talking to mechanical engineers and you have some kind of software process or strategy you want to talk about. Great. Okay, well, you have to take it another step and say, well, why should people care and why is this different than anything else that's going on there? Because the first thing you you realize is when you get your sweet spot, there's a thousand companies creating a thousand pieces of content a day about that topic that you picked. So you want to niche it down and you can't niche it down too much to start with and say, and I want you to keep going down that rabbit hole, especially in B2B and say, well, where can, what can we do or what can we talk about to that audience that we can be the leading experts in the world at? Very audacious statement. But you have to go down that far because if you go broad and say, I'm going to talk about cloud computing for IT professionals. Oh, well, God help you. You'll never break through because there's 70 companies that's already doing that and they're the most well-funded companies in the world microsoft and salesforce and amazon it'll never happen you'll never be found in google so what is that is it a certain process in cloud computing is it something for financial professional is it a different audience is it what is it are you going to tell stories in a different way maybe there's no podcast on the topic and maybe you're doing that whatever So you find this content tilt, that differentiation. And then the third step, that is where we call building the base. You have to choose. Where's going to be your content home? Are you going to create a newsletter? Is it going to be a podcast? Is it going to be a YouTube channel? Is it going to be a Twitch stream? You know, what is it going to be? That's where a lot of people mess up because they want to be everywhere. You actually have to pick one that you're great at. You can diversify later, but pick that one. And then once you pick that one, you... Deliver consistently over a long period of time. You build that audience and find that audience. And that's the start. And it takes generally nine to 12 months of really figuring out and fine tuning what is your story and who's your audience and what do you deliver and what's that value and all that. Build that audience. And then what you do, you can go on to the other steps like, oh, now I'm really gonna build an audience. Then I'm gonna diversify and do lots of other things. Now I'm going to generate revenue from this audience. Those things come later.
0: So it's the same, isn't it? No matter, it is about making sure that you just do one thing good, and you're not going to be getting that overnight success. Seventeen years on, I'm still looking for that overnight success. It's kind of
1: you can get it, right? I, you see them, you'll see, oh, the youtuber hits big or whatever, but they usually don't have a business model behind it, so you never ever hear about it again. But I'll give, so I'll give you, it's a really good example. So, have you ever heard of Mr. Beast? No. Mr. Beast is probably the most well-known YouTuber on the planet. And he... You uh,
0: tell I don't do YouTube okay. well.
1: <laughs> he does a lot of... Now, today, he does a lot of contests and things like that. Started off in like 2011, 2012, okay. creating YouTube videos on a consistent basis, had no followers, nothing. Then did it, you know, six months, nine months, got 100 subscribers, a little bit more than... You know, after two years, got to a thousand subscribers and kept, keeps working It finds his audience, finds his content niche, delivers consistently over time. And now is a multi-billionaire, has, I don't know how many millions, hundred million subscribers, has a restaurant, a burger chain, all kind. I mean, it's amazing. It's a great success story. But a lot of people look at Mr. Beast and say, oh my God, he just went on YouTube and got found and everything was great. No, it, it took him just like any other business, Took them three to five to seven years to make this thing go to build an audience and then to win. I mean, same thing with us. Uh, people will say, because for those people that don't know, we had a, my wife and I owned Content Marketing Institute. We had a very successful exit in 2016 and people will say, oh my God, I can't believe it. And went from nothing to, well, they didn't know it. We started in 2007. I started with just a blog. It took me 22 months to even realize that we had an audience here and we were saying something and then. I didn't even know we were going to make it till probably 2011, four years. So it takes time. Of course, you're always going to have those outliers that just make it right away. But generally, that doesn't happen. I mean, Joe Rogan did very successful with his podcast, but he was already a celebrity. He was already on Fear Factor. He was already in movies and then started the podcast and it took off. And he's very good at what he does from a podcasting standpoint, but Even Joe Rogan's been podcasting for what, nine years? Yeah. So I think people just sort of forget, as with all businesses, it takes a long time to build an audience and to build that relationship. And but once you do, it's the greatest model on the planet because now your marketing is already built in. If you already have, let's say you're in business, let's say you're a mechanical engineering company selling that software. If you have 20,000 opt-in subscribers for your email newsletter, that's really all the marketing you need anymore. Those are the people that are going to buy your stuff and you don't have to convince them that you're trustworthy or credible because you've been doing that because they opened your they're content day or we get yeah, they're already there. That's what I love about content marketing. You don't have to sell. There's no sales after the fact. Once they just make their, it's basically just them getting to a point where they're ready to buy and then they buy from you.
0: This is kind of what I teach in telephone marketing training that I do is, you know, It's all about that valuable first impression and not going straight in for the pitch. It's about finding out about them. So you're kind of asking lots of questions of a person. You know, yes, you're doing it on rinse and repeat quite often, but you're building a relationship when you're talking to a real person. And when you're genuinely asking the right questions of the right people, then you're not worrying about closing. I don't like the term, oh, I've got to close a deal. If you've started out on the right foot and you've got the right answers to their problem, then it's going to organically take its course.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think of it like a cocktail party, right? I love a cocktail party. Well, let's say that you go to a cocktail party and I'm going up to you and I'm saying, oh, hey, Wendy, what, you know, what do you do for a living? You know, do you like it? Do you have kids? Do you have a family? You know, those types of things. I'm asking those questions. We're starting to get to know, know each other. It's great. And then, you know, maybe we get together for coffee. Two weeks later, we talk, we get a relationship. Great, wonderful. It's all working out well. That's what it's supposed to be. That's kind of what we think from a content marketing mentality. And you're sort of delivering value all the time. Advertising is I'm going into the cocktail reception and I said, you want to come home with me tonight? That's advertising. So that's the difference. Not that it won't work. Absolutely. You might go to a cocktail reception where somebody might say, yeah, but the odds are, no, it really probably is not going to work. Yeah, Killian
0: Burf is there. Yeah, I'm going home with him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my wife has her list. So, (laughs) yeah, it's all good. It
0: is, isn't it? It's like, you know, it's like being asked to get married on the first date. There are are certain respectable boundaries that should be in place for these things. Uh,
1: You know what? We were talking beforehand. It's just being a human being. We're talking about storytelling and how just natural it is. And that's where I think that we treat marketing and business communication like it's a different thing. But we're just talking to human beings. How do human beings, like human beings don't want to get text messages out of the blue from people they don't know. They don't want to get spam email out of the blue with some deal that they don't trust or whatever. I mean, what do they want? They have questions. They have problems like anyone else. It's three in the morning and they can't get to sleep because they're thinking about problems with their job or their family or whatever. They're looking for solutions there. So as a business person, look to solve those problems. Either in business setting or personal setting, if it's B2B or B2C, you solve those problems and you do it on a consistent basis. You have earned trust for life.
0: Being a business owner is definitely not for the faint-hearted, that's for sure. You know, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors out there, isn't there? If you were to believe everything that you read, you know, it's uh, it's, it's, it's the work-life balance lifestyle. You've just touched on it yourself, you know, yourself and Pam. Mm-hmm. It 2007 to 2011, that's four years of you having to work together. And, you know, when there's two of you in the business, it's a family business. Gosh, that's a lot riding on it. You've got to have that true belief.
1: Yes, true belief. And you've got to be a little bit crazy. And most entrepreneurs are a a little bit crazy because you're audacious enough to think that you can create something out of nothing and actually build a business. And knowing that the failure rate's pretty high. Within three years, half of businesses shut down that don't make it. That's just within three years. That's horrible. You know, within, I think it's something like within seven to 10 years, only one in 10 of those businesses are still going. Oh my God. But if you stick with it, and that's that's the opportunity too, because so many people give up and they don't realize that this is a marathon and not a sprint. Because one day, as you said before, you'll be, you're on top of the world. You're thinking, this is the greatest day of my life. I'm so glad I started a business. Um, and the next day you're like, what did I do? Like, this is horrible. I'm an idiot. Why did I start a business? Why didn't I leave a secure job with benefits or whatever? And it just goes back and forth all the time. And it's just, it's very challenging. That's why my heart goes out to any entrepreneur and business owner. I was talking to Because you've taken a risk. They, yeah, go ahead. The other
0: day, and they're saying, you know, you've got the front door and you've got the back door. If you're in business for yourself and you're thinking about the back door, which is kind of your plan B, it isn't looking very good for you because what you're actually doing is you're already kind of heading that way because that's where your energy's going, isn't it? Yes. So if you're an entrepreneur, it's front door only. Front door only. Which yes. I thought was quite a good way of looking at it.
1: I guess it depends on how you define risk. I mean, when I left my pretty good job in 2007, there a lot of people came up to me and said, "Oh, I can't believe you're risking that. You're giving up benefits and whatever." And I'm like, "Well, today, what's more risky? You know, me putting all my energy into somebody else's strategy that I don't have any say over, and they can." fire me or lay me off at any time, or actually going out and doing something and having full, at least as much control as you possibly can over this entity, I feel like the risky thing is to leave it up to somebody else where I have no say. It's almost like, it's the same thing with stocks, right? It's like stocks aren't, you know, depending if you look at the stock market, it's not necessarily risky. But if I invest all my money into, let's say Twitter, I'm basically just taking a guess. I don't have any say over the strategy of what goes on on Twitter. If I can't pick up the phone and call somebody and influence the organizational strategy, it's pretty risky for me personally. I don't think we think about that a lot.
0: Well, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. So it's that spreading of the risk, isn't it? And that's where I think lots of entrepreneurs have what I call, they take calculated risks. They've kind of thought a few moves ahead and know what the consequences are going to be. And they're prepared to take it on the chin. Because some things Mm -hmm. work, some things don't. What's your feeling on look, Joe?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, There's no doubt about it. So, I mean, I've done, I've been in the event industry for 20 years. Now we've had some events that financially, I guess you'd call big stinkers. They just didn't work out very well. But there were people there and there was a lot of value that was had by all. And it looked good. It looked professional. And you say, okay, this is a catapult for something better. You can do that. I mean, I there's no doubt about it. I mean, you mentioned, okay, well, Joe's, he's launched four businesses and he's got seven books and he's done all these different things and great, but I've failed way more times than I've succeeded. It's just that people, that just doesn't go on my bio. I probably should just, Joe was completely broke and maxed out his credit cards and didn't know what to do in 2009. It was considering going back to working at a job because I didn't did. make it anymore. and felt like a failure. I mean, it people just don't talk about that stuff. Nobody knows about that stuff until after the fact and everything happened and it was great and it worked out. Now I can go back and tell that story and, you know, I can be. Yeah, it's like homeless, others. homeless to yeah.
0: Harvard, isn't it? You know, it's you can tell the feel good story, you know, once you're feeling good about it. But I know certainly in 2009, I was working part-time because my business was new. Everything collapsed a bit like it did it when Corona hit. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of make, do, mend, do what you need to do. When you've got a family, you've still got bills to pay, you do all of that. But actually what that journey took me on, I've taken as part of my story. So my banners, you'll see me out walking the dogs. Those dogs have come about as a direct result of working for that millionaire because they were his dogs and from his line. So I was taken on as part of the family and they became my family. That's part of my story, you know, so I couldn't have those dogs if I was out working for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Working from home allows me to just go, you need to go now? What? Oh, come on then. And mm-hmm. take a break, you know. So sometimes some of those hard luck elements, I think it's about three, four years ago, I was several thousand pounds in debt and I'd got 28p in my purse. And I was sat in a mental health first aid training course to try and sort of give myself some, some bolster around dealing with clients. And it helped me more personally than. I ever imagined. Mm -hmm. But at the end of those two days, I learned to trust the people that were around me to actually confess to being in such a mess. But you can anchor on those points.
1: Well, especially, I mean, it's interesting you bring up the accountability part. Like I'm a big goal setter. I talk about it in my last book, Content Inc., where I'll go through my goal setting and here's what I want to achieve. And I say it like it's already happened or it's present tense or whatever the case is. But if I... Part of that goal setting process is to tell somebody else. If you keep it just within, you have nobody coming back and say, How's that going? I mean, that's big, obviously, if you ever do look at a 12-step program, it's the same thing. You know, you have you have somebody that's helping you through that you're talking through. It's the same thing for entrepreneurs, same thing for business. You set a goal, you need at least one person. And that's why whether whether it's we, we call a mixed group here or a mentorship group that you get into, it's very important. I have one that I'm in. For content creators, for like media professionals like I am, and we're all going through the same issues and we're talking about finances and they're going through this, we're all going through the same issues together. Yeah. But hey, having that accountability is really, really important because it's really a motivational factor. You know, you're not alone and you can do this and, and keep you focused.
0: Now, you mentioned the tilts. you mentioned your content entrepreneurs, I think it is, isn't it?
1: That's right. Yeah, That's mm-hmm. what we're pushing that term. Content yeah. entrepreneur is as, as a different kind of entrepreneur.
0: So tell me a little bit more about that program, because I could have glimpsed it and I thought, oh, this has changed since I last checked in on this. So what's the purpose behind that slight shift?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, t- to be honest, you know, we sold the company in 17. I took a sabbatical year, 18, one of the greatest years of my life. It was fantastic. And then I started writing mystery novels. Frankly, I because I, I I wanted to do it. I wanted to do something different, and challenging. And the other thing is, my wife sort of challenged me because she'd never read any of my other books before. And I asked her, "Why didn't you read any of my other books?" And she said, "Well, if you if you write something interesting, I'll read it." <laughs> I'm like, "Are oh, we going there? Is that what we're doing?" So I said, "Okay, I'm going to like ensure so her favorite type of book is a mystery, thriller, novel." So I went ahead and wrote that and worked through the whole process. Well, most difficult thing I've ever done in my career. But published in nineteen, and then we had a kickoff party on March eighth of twenty twenty, and actually, yeah. So do the you know everybody knows yeah. the time. It was the right the yeah. just at the before times, mm-hmm. and then the next week, you know, everything in the United States shuts down as, as it did in most of the world. And so I'm like, okay, well, this is weird. What am I gonna do? I'm not doing the book tour anymore. I'm not, you know, what am I gonna what am I gonna do?
0: I'm just gonna hustle. start. The wife and say, have you read my book yet?
1: Exactly. Well, she <laughs> did love the book. She oh, loved the, it did pretty, it, the book did fairly well. And it's called The Will to Die. If you like mystery thrillers, everybody will, will like it. But then I went into later in the year, I started as as my friends and my colleagues and some other people I knew were getting laid off of work uh, when we had that little recession go on or they wanted to change what they were doing and they wanted to leave corporate environment, which has happened as well. They were asking me about my 2015 book, Content Inc., which I rewrote in 21. And I'm like, oh, there's something here. There's something here about not content marketing, not where a larger business is trying to build an audience and monetize. There's just something about this lone creator, this one person creating a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel, whatever, and building a business off of that. Of course, I have a little bit of history with that. I've been doing it for 20 years. We were very successful. I have a seven-step process that you go through the whole thing. And I said, well, maybe that's my calling. Now that we're in this pandemic, maybe we should get back into that. And I said, well, as long as I'm going to rewrite Content Inc. and do that whole thing again, I should just come out and help people even more. So then we said, okay, we're going to launch the tilt. The tilt became and is a two-time-per-week newsletter for content creators for businesses trying to do this thing and build an audience and monetize an audience and become financially independent. We launched a creator coin, which is a cryptocurrency as well, called Tiltcoin. That came out in March of 2021. We have an event called Creator Economy Expo, which we're launching our first one in May of this year in Phoenix, Arizona. So we're doing the whole thing. Again, sort of like Thanks we did the, did the Content Marketing Institute. But instead of focusing on the marketer in a larger business, we're focused on just the content creator.
0: The numbers stack up, don't they, really, Joe? That, you know, there are way more sort of solopreneurs than, you know, out there that make up the economy. That kind of, they are overlooked, I think. There's not great, huge amounts of support for them. I can only speak from experience in lots of entrepreneurs that I speak to, is that they're expected to, react to market like a corporate, yet there's just one
1: of them. Yes.
0: And they're trying to be all things and have a life and, you know, maybe be a mom or a dad. And that's, yeah, an, that's an awful lot of pressure, isn't it?
1: Well, it's it's because you have to be, you have so many things that you have to do. Like if you have a corporate job, you can focus on a few things around that corporate job. If you're an entrepreneur, you have to run the strategy, you have to run the marketing, you have to run the back office, you have to run human resources, you've got financial issues, you've got accounting issues, you've got legal issues. Yeah, don't forget to do the job. <laughs> and, got, yeah, and somebody's got to actually do this stuff. Yeah. And that's the same talking. thing. So, yeah, I mean, so basically that's what we focus on for an entrepreneur. You have all those things, but with a content entrepreneur, your product is you're creating content on a consistent basis to build an audience and then monetize that audience so you can become financially free. That's the content entrepreneur, if you will. So It's all the same things of starting a business in any business that you have all these issues, but you have all these different complexities, if you will, for creating a media company, which is really what you're, in essence, what you're doing. So it's odd. I mean, most content creators out there right now, solopreneurs, if you will, creating content, they're not financially independent. They're not making a lot of money. There's not a lot of specific resources to help those people make money. There's a lot of talk about big celebrity influencers, but not what we call the middle class of content creators, content entrepreneurs.
0: I don't know much about influencers, but I'm guessing, you know, when you've got celebrity status, you're not on your own, you've got an agent. So automatically you kind of get that PA to help. And this is, I think, in some instances, what entrepreneurs are not open-minded enough about in taking on a coach to help them in a particular area to strengthen their business or to take on a VA that can help support them in certain tasks from the get go.
1: I can't stress how important that point is you just made because, and I had to do this in order to grow. So in 2007, it's just me. And then I realized from talking to a couple of my mentors, if I do all these things myself, some of which I hate to do and others, which I'm terrible at doing, we're never going to grow. This business is not going to, so, you know, you create a list and on the one side of that list, I've got a piece of paper in front of me, I'm writing it. So it's like, oh, okay, well, what's the side that you're good at or you love doing all the things in business and you write those down. There's 15 things. Oh, I like to do, I like to, you know, write articles, uh, attract people for a marketing purpose. And I like to do spreadsheets and numbers or whatever you like to do. Great. And you're good at it. And then you got a whole other side that you're terrible at doing (laughs) It is not helping you in any way. Well, you um, don't
0: understand it if you don't you understand it. Or
1: don't understand it or don't hate it. So, of course, your things like accounting are going to go on there. I was getting in problems because I'm, ter- I'm terrible at calendar management, as you know, because you did not deal with me when we got this podcast together. I think and your so calendar I,
0: I, management is brilliant.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my calendar management is outsourced it to somebody else, <laughs> which works very, very well. So I don't touch my calendar at all and that's been a saving grace for me to do that. Operations, I'm terrible at. So we had to find project managers to outsource. And by the way, these are all done through contractor relationships for the most part. And that helped me. I'm really good at setting strategy. I'm good at new business ideas. I'm good at sales. Great. Joe, you keep doing that. And all these other things get outsourced. So when we sold Content Marketing Institute in 2016, we only had two employees, full-time employees in the business. We had about 28 contractors that did different things. And then for the event, we had another 75 or so. So 100 people that did lots of different things to employees. So again, it's a different framework.
0: Well, I think it's a smarter mentality.
1: It's less risky if you can do it. And of course, we want to make sure that we, every country is a little bit different legally. So make sure that you've, there's a number of hours that contractors can work and whatnot. But I don't want to be beholden to somebody full-time on benefits if I don't have to as a business owner. not that we're trying to get around something, Not, I'm just saying you know, that's a lot to take on yes. as a small business. So uh, we will always, always start people with sm- like five to 10 hours a week relationships and see how it goes. Everything's a test run. I never go out with a formal job description and say, oh, here's the job and you're making $100,000 US a year or whatever the case is. We don't do any of that. We'll do Here's the project we need done, or here's the task we need done. And if they do that really well, then we'll go ahead and say, well, here's another one and another one. And that's what we did. And we grew this wonderful family and team and everybody loved it. And, and there's no reason why that can't happen. It's just, yeah. to your point, a different mentality.
0: And I think even as a deliverer, as a contractor, you want to just do your very, very best because it's your own reputation. It's not that's right. It's a slightly different relationship. Projects are different depending on what it is that you do. But, you know, if you can deliver half a dozen projects through a week, gosh, that makes it for quite a diverse week. Whereas the idea of doing nine o'clock Monday morning till five o'clock on Friday, Hmm. doing the same thing all week, I think it affects your productivity as well.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love having a business because- Every day you're working on a different project and you're not doing the same thing over. And the other thing you got to realize is you're a business owner, but so are all the contractors Are all business owners. At one time, we might be working with a hundred different businesses of one, for the most part, coming together. I think it's very exciting. And people don't realize that, you know, it's, it's the solopreneurs, if you will, that are basically running the world when it comes to business. That's the majority of businesses are these small businesses. And we think about the Amazons and the Intels and the AMDs and the whatever Teslas that are so big today. It's fine, but it's really everybody else that is, is making things happen. And And I think where all the creativity is happening, that's where the excitement is happening. So, but I'm biased. It's not that you can't be happy in a nine to five job. It's just not for me.
0: No. And, that's you know, I would quite happily interview Elon anytime.
1: Oh, yes. You know, I'll, I would I'll clear
0: my diary for him.
1: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm not gonna say you let it be i don't know why anybody's working for you nobody wants to work a nine-to-five job for you
0: so. <laughs> no and and the time zone i don't know what the time zone is on mars so you know we'll, we'll probably need to check yeah, that you out
1: know. first <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> we're
0: going to carry on that conversation in just a moment but first let me tell you about my power up program <laughs> an hour and a half with me and accountability later. It's by no means ever going to fix everything. But what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on. It's a great stepping stone into the 12-week building block programme. Just book a chin wag. let's have a natter, and let's see how I can help you. What's new, Wendy Wu? Well, I'm going to give you a tip around the content that Jo and I were talking about today. Now, of course, having conversations is not just about having a list of people that you want to talk to and having a special reason. I would say write down the two or three things that you think are going to be the most interesting to that person that you're going to speak to. It's not a script. They are just key pointers to keep you on track and remind you. It's worth mentioning these things because if you don't, You're going to remain the best kept secret. Well, Joe, honestly, you know, this is such a rich conversation because it's it's human, it's content, it's expectations, it's business, it's entrepreneur, it's all of those things. But I think we've got to the part of the show where I ask every guest that comes on if they can share with us that one conversation that they can recall that if that created a turning point for them and what happened next?
1: Oh, well, the one that just came into my head was we had a business model where we were trying to get going. This is 2009 in September. I was calling to basically get a sale that I thought was a done deal. And the sale didn't go through. And we were, you know, what my mom, what my family would call the baloney and ramen noodle years for us. Everything's perspective. The difference we, between
0: Heinz beans and HP beans. We would.
1: Yeah, it was something like that. Like we, you know, we didn't have a lot of credit card debt. There was a concern. Didn't know if it was going to make it. All all that kind of stuff. And I remember. I mean, I was. I walked outside and I just felt sorry for myself and I completely broke down and I said, "What am I doing? This is horrible. I'm let my family down. This is the worst thing ever." and probably, you know, conversation with my wife. And I was saying, you know, I got to get my LinkedIn profile together because I've got to go out and find a job. And she said, you've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. You always wanted to launch this. And I know it's been a tough, you know, year or a couple of weeks or whatever. She said, just stick with it a little bit longer. Don't make any rash decisions while you're in an emotional state and go through it. And maybe, you know, you know, just, just, Maybe talk to your audience, see what's going on. Maybe you'll get some ideas. And I did that. I'd go went through and I started to look at the email feedback that I was getting from our newsletter at the time. And they were saying things like, oh, Joe, love the newsletter, love your blog post. Is there any content marketing training? Joe, love this, whatever. Is there an event for content marketers? So what I realized there is I had this idea of a product that was going to be the best product in the world that was terrible. And financially it didn't work. And at the same time I was ignoring all the great advice I was getting from the audience that I built that said, here's what I would like to buy from you, Joe, but you're not offering that. And I said, Oh my God, I can't believe it. Like, what is wrong with me? I'm trying to sell this thing that I think is great. And they're saying, so forget it. I just scrapped the other thing. And I said, okay, we are going to offer what our customers are asking for instead of forcing something. So that's when we renamed the company Content Marketing Institute. We launched Chief Content Officer Magazine. We launched Content Marketing World, the event. We had the blog that we, you know, moved my personal blog into the Content Marketing Institute blog and basically knew within nine months that this thing was going to make it. Content Marketing World came out in 2011. We were hoping for 100, 150 people. We ended up getting 600 that event turned into a 4,000 person event. So anyways, there's a couple things. First of all, you know, patience. Don't make any rash decisions while you're emotional. But the biggest thing is listen to your audience. Listen to your customers. Sometimes we get so focused on selling what we want to sell. We don't realize that maybe we shouldn't be selling them. Maybe we should be selling something else. And, you know, that's why we, as they say, you have two ears and one mouth. You know, You want to make sure that you listen more than you talk. And, uh, and that's what we did. And luckily it all worked out. So very emotional times though. I'll tell you that Wendy. So we made it through though.
0: Yeah. I mean, you like me, two recessions and a pandemic now.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So This is where we go. Come on, bring it on.
1: Recessions are, yeah, recessions are great for entrepreneurs as long as you you know that you need to make it through the recession. Because on the other side of that recession, it's usually wonderful things happen as people open up their budgets because then half the companies have given up by then. If you can set it up so you can make it through that recession, great things. like We did that, as you said, 2007, 2008, 2009, made it through. 2010 was brilliant. 2011 yeah. was better. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, but you have to. Keep the
0: faith. faith Keep the
1: faith. Be patient. Yeah. Focus on your customers. Things will go right.
0: Joe, honestly, I can't thank you enough for coming and sharing your story, you know, and the honesty is really what's touched me because I share, overshare probably, you know, some of the highs and the lows that I've had. But I think it's important to put it into perspective because, you know, it's like winter. You don't get a good summer without darkness.
1: Yes. You don't appreciate it either. No, absolutely. It makes it that much sweeter. The problem is when you're going through it, you don't think you're going to make it through.
0: But 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 we do, we do. And, you know, for the listeners, I'm here for them. That's my role right now is to do that. And, you know, should anybody want to... Reach out to you, Joe. Where's the best
1: place? Yes, I'm I'm very, very accessible. So I'm at Joe Polizzi. that's J-O-E-P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I on Twitter and LinkedIn and everywhere else. And I try to get back to everyone. Just sometimes it takes a couple days, but I'm I'm pretty accessible there. And then the tilt stuff is thetilt.com. It's a free newsletter. We'd love you to sign up. Great content ideas in there. Thank you. Everybody gets uh, you know, free tilt coin, uh, our own crypto creator coin. Uh, cryptocurrency. uh, So if you want to learn about that too, and it doesn't cost you anything. (laughs) Part two, Joe, Community,
0: where you explain what crypto coin is to an old lady.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I really do believe that it is a possible new business model for entrepreneurs where you have this idea of something that your audience can financially benefit from at the same time as you're delivering value. That's really what we're talking about in social token. And by the way, if you go to the site and you don't know what we're talking about with social tokens and NFTs specifically for content creators, we have a whole library on the tilt.com just go ahead and and check it out. All the content is free and accessible and whatever. And to your point, like there's a lot there's a lot of people out there that have no clue. A lot of people think it's a scam. You read what you read in the media and some of that's absolutely true. But at the same time, there's also a business model here for a lot of entrepreneurs to look at, we're in the very early stages. So think about it, we're in the for internet, we're in the late nineties of where we were in internet. Yeah. Same thing that's going on right now. So just realize that the Amazons haven't come yet and the eBay's haven't come yet. Like these are all new things that are coming down the way. I just
0: wish that those that are in coin, because I know there's there's a broad umbrella of terminology there that sure. I just don't understand. But I just wish that those that are in coin wouldn't ask me to marry them the minute that I connect with them. <laughs> um, you know, it's there's a whole industry there that needs some help in how to start a conversation off around a topic that's probably a little bit like speaking to an alien right yeah. now. So there's an awful lot of education that needs to go on with that particular industry. So, you know, tap me up and uh, teach me your product and I'll help you speak to people in layman's
1: terms. It's so true. It's literally like we're moving from horse and buggy to the car. I'll be honest with you. I think I'm pretty technologically savvy for my kids would not agree with that, but I think I am. And it took me six to nine months to really get my arms around some of this stuff like Bitcoin and Ethereum and then what that means for entrepreneurs and what we need to think about diversification and those types of things. So now is the time to educate and to just figure it out and read some articles and, and to understand that this thing is coming, and then you'll have some good education behind you so you won't get, you know, into some situations where you shouldn't with this stuff. Yeah. So there you go. So, but good. But thank you for the time. It's been lovely. So
0: Joe, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: And we'll and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon.
0: Oh, I do hope so. I promised you a great chat. And goodness, didn't we get into making conversations about content entrepreneurship count? Gosh, there's such a lot changing in the landscape out there in terms of where we have our conversations and how we start them. Of course, I'm always going to want to encourage you to pick up the phone. All my details are on the dedicated website, all Next time, we've got a guest coming on who, quite honestly, could have written the screenplay for the movie The Founder. If you've watched it, that's a big clue to some of the conversation next time. Make sure you follow us on the apps that you're listening from. Please drop us a review. We love to hear that and pass your comments on to the guests. Of course, the team just lifts us up. But join us next time where we'll be making conversations about discernible deeds count.
1: June Martino, the icon. Everyone knew who she was in the area when I met her. And she's staring at me. But I realised I just asked her a question no one ever asked her before. Everyone wanted to know what happened. And when she spoke, it made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I still remember what she said, the way she said it.